Friends, you remember that prior to Father's Day, we began studying 15 traits that God says are qualities of His love. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today, but I am going to read the pertinent verses beginning in verse 4. In verse 4, Paul is writing to believers. Now that's important because the Apostle Paul thought it was important enough to tell believers what God's love looked like. And here's what he said. In verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 he said, love suffers long, and love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love never fails. So we found that that first quality of God's love is the fact that God's love is patient. And we all identify the fact that, that God has been very patient with us. Uh, as human beings, as sinners, as those who live in a fallen body and in a fallen world, living among fallen people. And so God must really, really love us because He's so patient with us. But we also found that God's quality, another quality, is that God's love is kind. It's important for us to know that God just doesn't tell us that He loves us. He also expresses that love through kindness. And one of my favorite verses that really support that is Romans 5, 8, where the Bible says that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. So God's love is kind. But we learned also that God's love does not envy God doesn't want us wanting what other people have. God wants us wanting what He wants us to have. And so today, I want to dive right in, and I want to take a look at the next four qualities of God's love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, so quality number four is that love does not parade itself. Love does not parade itself, or in other words... Love does not brag. I love the way that the message translation translates that phrase. It says that love doesn't strut. Amen? Uh, and other phrases might be that love does not crow. Love does not show off. God's love doesn't have to blow its own horn. Right? You know, boasting and bragging can get us into a whole lot of trouble. I read about one woman who was going on a diet and this woman was feeling especially proud of herself. And so she was showing off to her husband and she said, look, honey, I can wear my old jeans again. And her husband was looking at her kind of funny. And finally he said to her, darling, I love you, but those are my jeans. 
Bragging can get you into trouble. Now, several things can happen when you boast. Several things can happen when you brag too much. First of all, boasting can cause division. Boasting can cause division. Even sports leaders recognize the harmful effects of bragging, right? That, I mean, football even instituted a penalty for taunting the other enemy, for bragging about the touchdown you just made. So boasting can cause division, but not only in sports, but also in marriage. Boasting can cause division in church. Boasting can cause division at, in your workplace. So boasting is not a healthy thing because it causes division. But boasting is also counter to love because it can blind you to incoming danger. It can blind you to danger. That word, Titanic. You think of that word, Titanic, and you know that it's almost become a synonym for prideful boasting. The Titanic was called the ship of dreams. The Titanic was known as the most technologically advanced ship in the water. The Titanic designers boasted that there was no passenger ship that was faster than the Titanic. But the Titanic's sinking is a powerful demonstration of prideful boasting. Prideful boasting. One Titanic deckhand even said that God himself couldn't sink the Titanic. But you know what happened. As the Titanic was running full steam at 20.5 knots. That's 24 miles an hour for a ship that size. The, going through the North Atlantic Ocean filled with icebergs. We know that the Titanic struck one of them. And that it sank. And 1,517 passengers lost their lives. All because... Of that boasting, that prideful boasting. You see, boasting to convince others of your greatness, convince trying to convince others of your greatness can cause blindness to dangers that lie ahead. But God's kind of love don't need to prove it. God's kind of love doesn't need to convince others of its greatness because God's kind of love provides proof in the pudding. God's kind of love demonstrates Itself. So remember, friend, that God's love is a verb. God's love is an action word. But the opposite of that is boasting. Because it causes division and it causes danger. But also, boasting can also deceive you. How many of us plan for the future without considering for a second that we might not be here for that future? We plan for our vacation this summer. But the thought doesn't even enter our brain that we might not be here for the summer. How many times do we brag about what we're going to do? How many times do we brag about how we're going to do it and where we're going to retire without even consulting God or aligning our plans with His plans? Listen, y'all. Our destiny... Is in the plan in the hand, the will of God. 
Our destiny is in the hand of God. Listen to what the half-brother of the Lord Jesus said. James, in chapter 4, verse 13. James said, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Your life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is evil. Sin. So boasting about the future kind of closes our ears to the spiritual truth that this life is but a vapor. Our lives are, are as short-lived as a mist, especially in the light of eternity. So we can't boast about future plans. But did you know we also can't even boast about being saved? Ephesians 2.8, the Bible says, It's by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't have any control of that, really. We're saved by the grace of God alone, through faith in Christ alone, and to God be the glory alone. Amen? So, friend, no Christian has any room to brag. No Christian has any room to boast about anything in their lives. They have no room to boast about having our sins forgiven. No room to boast about spending eternity with God. It's all His doing. It's all His doing. We just submit to that plan. The evangelist D.L. Moody used to say, I'm glad that we're not saved by our good works. I would hate to know that I'm going to go to heaven and have to listen to everybody brag about how they got there. Amen? Would that not be horrible? Well, we don't have anything to do with it other than submitting to the plan of God. God's kind of love realizes that what's been done, what is being done, and whatever will be done is solely at the discretion of God Almighty. It's all up to God. So whatever you have, whatever you can do, whatever influence, friend, that you have, you don't have no room to brag. It's a gift from the hand of God. So love does not parade itself. But the fifth quality is that Love is not puffed up. Or in other words, love is not conceited. Love is not stuck up. Love is not arrogant. Or perhaps worse yet, love is not prideful. Why? Because the Bible says that pride goes before a fall. Amen. But not only does it go before a fall, pride also keeps us from recognizing and addressing our own faults. Amen. And we all have faults. Somebody say amen. We all have them. But sometimes if you're so loaded up with pride, you can't see them. You can't recognize them. And you certainly won't address them. I read about one lady who looked out her window every morning. And she was absolutely amazed that her neighbor was hanging dirty laundry on the clothesline. 
She couldn't figure it out. But then one day, she noticed that that lady's laundry was beautifully clean, sparkling clean. And she said to her husband, I think our neighbor is using some new detergent. And her husband said, no, I got up early and cleaned your window. Pride keeps us from seeing our own faults. Pride keeps us from working to correct our own issues. And we all have faults and we all have our own issues. And pride can blind you to the truth about ourselves. So before it criticizes another, the love of God looks in the mirror first. And then criticizes if it finds nothing in the mirror. But pride can also make you look awful foolish. Pride can make you foolish and no one can do this better than a kid. Somebody say amen. Listen to this. One little boy was innocently talking to his prideful pastor. And he said to that prideful pastor, Today, my daddy told me all there is to know about Babylon. And that arrogant pastor said, oh, really? And just what did your daddy teach you about Babylon? And that said, boy said, my daddy said that Babylon is exactly what our pastor does every Sunday morning. <laughs> That'll bring you down a notch or two, amen? But listen, on a more serious note, in his book, The Applause of Heaven, and I believe that Kathy... Hannah is actually the one who got me this book. But in this book, The Applause of Heaven by Max Licato, he writes this. He says, although by the book, I'm guilty by God's love, I get another chance. Although by the law, I am indicted by God's mercy, I get a fresh start. For it is by grace, God's grace. That I have been saved. You see friend. There is no other world religion. That offers that kind of message. No other. All the other world religions. Demand the right performance. All the other world religions. Demand the right sacrifice. They demand the right chant. They demand the right ritual. They demand the right experience. You see, those other world religions, they offer a kingdom of what we call trade-offs. In other words, you do this, and their God will supposedly do that. That's what they offer. And what is the result of that kind of relationship? Two things. Arrogance and pride. Arrogance because they think that they have earned it. And pride because they think they deserve it. But I want to tell you this morning that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is completely opposite to those other world religions. The Lord's kingdom, in the Lord's kingdom, membership is granted, not purchased. In the Lord's kingdom, membership is granted, not earned. It is offered by God. You see, we are adopted. 
We are adopted by the grace of God. You have been placed into the kingdom of God by faith in the one who adopted you. It's just that simple. And this occurs not when you can do enough, but when you come to the realization and you're willing to admit that you can't do enough. It's all the doings of God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You simply accept the gift of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And as a result of being willing to do that, God calls you and I to love, love, love. He calls us to a love that is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's certainly not prideful. But he calls us to serve God and to love others, listen to this, out of gratitude. He calls us to serve him and love other people out of gratitude for what God has done for you and I. At youth camp this past year, this past summer, we gave an opportunity for all the young people to give a bit of their testimony. And one high-spirited, high-strung boy, 13 years old, preacher kid, his name was Chasen. He wanted to go first. And Chasen got up there, and after he shared a little bit of his gratitude to God, Chasen fought back tears as he looked at his mama and daddy. And he said, thank you for adopting me. Because we've been adopted by God. Maybe you and I can afford to be a little more gracious and a little more grateful and a little more thankful for what he's done for us. See, God's love doesn't boast. And God's love certainly is not prideful. But number six is God's love is not rude. In other words, God's love is not inappropriate and God's love doesn't behave without manners. One comment, uh, commentator, uh, William Barclay, said, Love does not behave gracelessly. To be rude is to be impolite. To be rude is to be discourteous. But to be rude is also big time disrespectful. Suppose I see a lady carrying a heavy package and I refuse to offer that lady a helping hand. That's being rude and impolite. And not only am I not showing respect, I'm not showing God's love either. Suppose I see a lady or an older person walk into a waiting room where there are no empty chairs. And instead of offering my chair, I just continue to sit. That's acting impolitely. And according to God, that's unloving. Because love is not rude. Suppose I see a senior adult walking toward a front door. And I refuse to open that door for them. Can I tell you that's being rude? That that's impolite? I'm acting disrespectful. And I'm certainly not reflecting the love of God. 
See, to be rude is real disrespectful. But to be rude also damages your testimony. I read about this one pastor. His name was Brad Henry. And he tells about his visit to the Dunkin' Donuts. He goes to the drive-thru and he pulls up to the window and he says, I have three cake donuts and a cup of coffee. Well, the lady on the other side of the glass started mumbling and he couldn't hear what she was saying. And so he thought to himself, if that lady would just open that window, she could hear what I'm saying. Well, it was early and I hadn't had my coffee and I was more than a little annoyed. But again, I shouted, Two donuts and a cup of coffee. And again, I heard her mumbling on the other side of that glass. I thought to myself, I'm going to have to stick my head in her window and tell that whole restaurant what my order is. And Brad Henry says, that's exactly what I did. He said, I leaned forward to give her a piece of my mind and smack. She hadn't forgotten to open her window I forgot to open mine. He said, I hit my head so hard that I was seeing stars. And she started laughing. And he said, I can't begin to tell you how embarrassed I was. He said, I finally got my three donuts and coffee and ashamed of the damage done to my testimony as a pastor, I drove off with that lady still laughing at me. Listen, if we're going to display the love of God, a believer should be polite to other people. If we're going to display the love of God, a believer should be respectful to other people. If we're going to display God's love, then we ought to be courteous to other people. And friend, if we're going to display love, we should always use tasteful words when we're speaking to other people. In short, the Christian's love, God's love, will affect our behavior. Love affects behavior. And love is not rude. But the final one I want to mention to you this morning Is quality number seven. And that is love is not self-seeking. You see, the self-seeking person is far more concerned about his or her own rights than they are about the rights of somebody else. Do you know how many rights... A Christian has? Who said that? You're right, brother. How many rights do we have as believers? None. And you want to know why? And that's because Christian love always, say always, always puts others first. Christian love always seeks to help others Grow. Christian love always seeks to encourage and build up others. In fact, did you know 
that the whole purpose of the Christian life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment? Did you know that the whole purpose for your Christian life is far more than your own peace of mind? That your purpose is even far greater than your own happiness? That's right. Christian, if you want to know why you're placed on this planet, if you want to know why you remain on this planet and you're not already in heaven, then you must begin with God. And you must begin to reflect the love of God to other people. Because everything that you want to be, everything that you do, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all of your goals, all of your ambitions for the future ought to involve showing God's love to somebody else. All of it. In Matthew chapter 18, here's how Jesus said it. He said, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're looking for your purpose? Lose your life for Jesus' sake. See, love is not self-seeking. Love seeks to bless others. We display our love for God. How? By serving others. And so, friend, in thinking about these four traits that I've talked to you this morning about, that God says are qualities of love. Love doesn't parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. I was thinking about those things and I said, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, in verse 5, kind of sum this up nicely. Where the Bible said, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, him being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and get this, he became obedient. Became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In that passage, we find three things. Three things that Jesus did to practice the love of God. You and I can put these in our life too. The first thing Jesus did according to those verses. Is that Jesus was willing to sacrifice. His love sacrificed for others. Do you know you can't have a healthy marriage. Without sacrificing something. You can't have a healthy church. Unless we're all willing to. To sacrifice something. 
We can't have a, a healthy community unless there are those who are sacrificing something. But there's something in the human soul that rebels against sacrifice. But Jesus says, I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. But he also said, I'm willing to serve. Jesus was willing to die to serve the needs of other people. Are y'all following me? He was willing to die to serve the needs of other people. He's our model. We should follow that example, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our church or our community. Jesus is the example we're to follow. So we're called, like Jesus, to be servants in every area of life. You can't have a healthy home unless somebody's serving. You can't have a healthy church unless there are people serving one another. You can't have a healthy nation unless people are willing to serve. Jesus was. He was willing to sacrifice and he was willing to serve. And finally, Jesus was willing to submit. The Bible says, get this, that Jesus became obedient. He made a choice because he didn't have to. He made a choice to be obedient even if it might cost him his life. If I'm going to develop healthy relationships in my life, I'm going to have to submit to the will of God too. If I am going to develop healthy relationships, I'm going to have to submit to the example of Jesus Christ too. Friend, if I'm going to develop the healthy habit of loving others, I'm going to have to submit to the Holy Spirit's lead in my life. I'm going to have to become obedient Maybe to the point of death. Maybe to the point of death. Yes, love is a verb. Love is action. But love is not only action. Love is sacrificial action. You see, love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. And God's love always benefits someone else. Benefits always accrue to someone else's account. God's kind of love always gives. And it never grabs God's love, friend, listen, God's love is for you, not necessarily for me. And that's what Jesus said. As he was being crucified on the cross, here's what he said. This is not for me. This is for you. 
and I love you. And you may remember what he said to Nicodemus. He said, God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish and be damned to eternal hell. But whoever believed in him would have eternal life. I don't know about y'all, but that sacrificial action. Jesus knew that love was a verb. So my question to you today is this. Christian, are you loving like God today? In your marriage? In your family? Here at church, in your community, at work? Are you loving like God today? But perhaps just as important, have you accepted the love of God today? Because you can never know how to love like God until you've accepted the love of God. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, you're almighty. You're gracious. You're amazing. And you're loving. Lord, our prayer today is that, Lord, your word has changed the way we feel about how to love others. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't love only in word or only as some faint emotion, but that we would love with action, even sacrificial action, as we follow our example in Jesus. But Father, there's no way we can know how to love others until we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have accepted the love that you have offered us in the life, death, burial, and glorious resurrection of your son Jesus. I pray that if there's one person here that has not yet accepted that love gift, the love of God manifest in a person, Jesus. Lord, that they would not make it one more day until they would accept the gift of God and receive the eternal life that you offer through him. Speak to the one who needs to accept that love today. In Jesus' name we pray it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. I surrender all. Let's stand. Let's sing.